I'm excited to talk to you this morning about a word that God has put on my heart. So uh, let's get to it. So last week, uh, Pastor Daniel started our series on the pursuit of presence. And he led us in a really good message about what it means to just be in this pursuit of God's presence. And this whole series is developed out of Psalm 84, which talks a lot about when we are in God's presence, we have this strength and this victory from being in the presence of God. And that we can live a life, as the psalm says it, from strength to strength. I mean, what an awesome imagery of being able to live life strength to strength. And so we are going to continue our Pursuit of Presence series this morning. And in my life, I have pursued a lot of things. I have been a grand pursuer of many different endeavors. Um, I'm going to share a few of those with you. Um, At one point in my life, I entered a great pursuit to become a hot air balloonist. Um, I was really into hot air ballooning. Um, And when I say into, I mean, I thought it might be cool. I don't know. Um, And I was going to pursue this dream of becoming a hot air balloonist. Um, Someone told me at one point that that's not really a job, it's more of a hobby, but I I was all in. And when I say all in, I mean I hung pictures of hot air balloons up in my room and told people I was going to be a hot air balloonist. And that was about it, actually, now that I think about it. And I've never been in a hot air balloon, not one time. So so that pursuit ended there. Um, I once had a pursuit to be a bassoonist, which again balloonist, bassoonist, was on a roll there. And then, uh, because I had this book as a kid, it had this character and this bee played this bass bassoon. And I was like, well, that's the coolest thing ever. So I'm going to play the bassoon. So I developed a pursuit to become a bassoonist, um, which led me into my middle school band director's office, to which I thought for sure he'd be so happy to see me there. He he was not. Um, And I ran in and I said, hey, I'm going to play the bassoon. And he said that I think maybe all band teachers say to middle school students, um, the bassoon is really hard and it's really expensive. To which I said, well, bees can do it. Um, he, he asked me to get out immediately and handed me a clarinet. So that was um, kind of how my bassooning thing went. And then for a season in my life, I had a great pursuit of the St. Paul Winter Carnival medallion. Now that means nothing to you people, I realize, but I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, which every winter they have this 12-day festival of winter, which when you leave Minnesota, you're like, really? But when you live there, it's a huge deal. And it's all about ice and ice fishing and hockey and snow and just coldness. And they have this hunt for this medallion that is hidden somewhere in St. Paul. And they give clues every day. And if you find it, you get like $10,000. And I was convinced that I was going to be one of the many St. Paul Winter Carnival medallion finders. And so I would go out in this great pursuit to find the medallion. And I would put on all of my winter gear and find a flashlight and a shovel. And I would head out in my parents' backyard determined to find the medallion which I have still yet to find. See, sometimes the, the destination of our pursuits is determined by our commitment to it. And sometimes where we end up is greatly determined by the things that we do, but God promises us that if we commit to a pursuit, he will meet us there. 
You see, we often think sometimes that the pursuit of God's presence is maybe like a treasure hunt. Like we have to follow certain clues and we have to try to figure out what they mean and we have to go out and we might maybe find it. But the pursuit of God's presence is not a treasure hunt. It's not clues we have to decipher. God tells us in his word that if we seek him, we will find him. If we knock at the door, he will answer it. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. It is not a might, maybe I will find it. It is a promise if we commit to the pursuit. And then the Bible tells us that when we commit to a pursuit of God's presence, when we are in God's presence, we have access to the power of the true and living God. And through the access to that power, we can have presence. Like in Psalm 1611, it says that God's presence is the fullness of joy. I mean, who doesn't want the fullness of joy? In Acts 3, it says that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Who doesn't want a refreshing? After this week, my friends, do you not long for a refreshing? And the Bible promises us that we find joy, that we find strength, that we find victory, that we find a refreshing in God's presence. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, we meet a guy who goes on a pursuit of God's presence, and his name is Naaman. So if you have your Bibles or want to look it up or look on the screens, we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 5. And verse 1, we are introduced to Naaman. It says, now Naaman, commander of the army, and king and the king of Syria was considered a great man by his king, and he was highly respected because through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a man of courage, but he was a leper. The Syrians had gone on in bands as raiders and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife as a servant, and she said to her mistress, I wish that my master Naaman were with the prophet who is in Israel. Then he would heal him of his leprosy. And so you see, we meet Naaman, and he's the commander of the Syrian army. And at this time in history, the Syrians were attacking everyone. Even just a few chapters before in Kings, Syria had conquered God's people. Syria was a big deal. And so to be the commander of the Syrian army had to be pretty impressive. But see, Naaman had leprosy. And at this time in history, there was no worse disease to have. Leprosy was awful. And leprosy, people would die from it, but before that, their body would essentially just completely fall apart in these horrible ways. And leprosy was humiliating, and leprosy was isolating. See, people with leprosy, they had to leave, and they could not be around anyone because everyone else was terrified to get it. So you have this commander of this powerful army who's respected by the king, an army so powerful that it was even able to conquer God's people for the purpose that God had. But he has leprosy. And then the beginning of Naaman's pursuit of God's presence, it starts with a little girl. How cool is that? This little kid says, hey, if you only knew Elijah, God's prophet, he could heal you of your leprosy. 
And I love this imagery of this person stepping in to where this, to Naaman's pain and saying, hey, I know what you need. And so Naaman starts a journey to find Israel to go there and meet Elisha. And in verse 5 of 2 Kings, the Bible tells us that he left and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. So Naaman is going out. He's leaving Syria. He's going to Israel where God's people are to find Elijah. And see, in this passage of scripture, Naaman does what I think a lot of us might do. He packs a whole lot of stuff and he gets a whole lot of money. Apparently, 6,000 shekels is a lot of shekels. It's a lot of money. Because you see, where Naaman's mind is at this point, because he doesn't know the true and living God, he's thinking he's going to buy his healing. Are you following where he's going? He's going to show up in Israel with all of his stuff, and he's going to get healed because he's going to pay for it. And we might read that passage of Scripture and think, man, he's kind of crazy. But how many times... Do we want a quick fix to the presence of God? How many times do we want to find the easy way to get to the healing and the power and presence of God? See, for Naaman, he had all this stuff that wasn't hard for him to pack up. And we often find the thing, what's the easiest thing that we can do? Because we don't want to be obedient. We like easy. We don't like obedience. And so in this place, we see Naaman saying, I just want to go there. I want to buy it. I want to go home. And then the story continues in verse 9. Naaman came with his horse and chariots and stopped at the entrance of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Indeed, I thought he would at least come out to see me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place of leprosy and heal the leper. So Naaman gets there, and he goes to Elijah's house, and God sends someone that's not Elijah, and Naaman gets mad. Naaman gets offended, and he's like, I'm going home. I'm out. And how often in our pursuit of the presence of God do we bail because we get offended? Do we bail because we don't like the way things are happening? And Naaman's like, I'm out. And you see, also in that moment, we got to remember that Naaman is the commander of this powerful army. And he drove all this way with 10 changes of clothes and showed up at Elijah's house and you can't even come out and see me? It's pride. In this moment, Naaman is full of pride. And do you think it's possible that our God sent the messenger instead of the prophet because he knew Naaman was full of pride? Is it possible that that's exactly what God was doing to get Naaman to where he needed him to be so he could bring the healing? But Naaman's pride and his inability to humble himself before God leaves him to almost bail the whole thing. And he's just angry. And he continues in his anger in verse 9. No, mm -mm. in verse 12. And he says, are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all of the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. 
So he's basically saying, you want me to go down in this ugly, mucky river. He's like, if I'm going to wash in a river, I got better rivers at home. That's basically like someone coming to Fenton and being told they need to get in the Merrimack and saying, "Uh uh-uh, there are better rivers somewhere else. You see, in this moment, Naaman wants to do it his way. He thinks he knows better. He doesn't want to humble himself and get in this dirty river by this messenger of God's prophet. He's not having it, even though he desperately wants to be healed. He stops God's messenger because he doesn't like the way he tells him to do it. How often in our pursuit of the power of God do we stop because we don't like the things that God says? Because we think we know better. We might not always do it consciously, but sometimes when God says do this and we don't, it's because we just think we know better. I got a better river at home. And if we read this book, we will see there are no better rivers than the river that God tells us to go wash in. And then when we're obedient to the things he asks us to do, we will find that presence and that power. And we can read this passage of scripture and think, man, Naaman, what are you thinking? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. We might not be as verbal and as crabby as Naaman was in that moment, but we often think we know better. We often don't stop to humble ourselves. And then it continues, and it says, his servants come to him, and they say in verse 13, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he has said to wash and be clean? And so what's happening here is you got Naaman's servants coming and saying, you know, I, don't, I think maybe you're missing it. Like if he had told you to do some massively huge, complicated thing, you might have been like, okay, I'm going to get healed. But because you didn't think that this plan was actually going to get you the healing you were looking for, you weren't willing to do it. And the servants kind of point out, you know what, this, this, this is kind of crazy. Like, do you want to be healed or not? Do what the prophet's messenger's telling you to do. And I think so often we're the exact same way. We think that God should show up in a certain way, and when he doesn't, we're like, well, I'm out. And see, God has told us what he needs us to do. And on the very last day of the St. Paul Winter Carnival, the paper prints a clue. And this last clue really leads people to the destination of this medallion. And the St. Paul Winter Carnival medallion is always hidden in a park in St. Paul, Minnesota, which would have been super helpful information to my 10-year-old self wandering around with a flashlight in my parents' backyard. But it's always hidden in this park. And on the day of the last clue, all of these people get to this park. And they're all frantically looking all over for this medallion, right? And again, I think so often as human beings, we think the pursuit of God's presence is like that. Like there's a bunch of people trying to decipher these clues and we might be the one that figures it out. And in these moments, there are these times where Naaman's like, it's not worth it. I'm out. And see, Naaman had these servants, these people that came alongside him and said, stick in it. Stick in it. 
maybe you should just do the thing God's messenger's telling you to do. Maybe you should just be obedient. Even if it doesn't look the way you want, even if it doesn't sound cool, even if it has to humble you to get in this yucky river, maybe you should just be obedient. And I think we overcomplicate this idea of how do we live in God's presence? God has already told us. We seek him. We passionately pursue him. We draw near to him, and he draws near to us. And so Naaman has these people that tell him, hey, maybe you should listen. And so Naaman does. And in verse 14, he went down and plunged himself in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had said. Just as the man of God had said. And his flesh was restored like that of a little child, and he was clean. So the minute, the instant Naaman does what God tells him to do, his leprosy is healed. I love this passage of scripture because there's this imagery of Naaman fighting God. I don't want to do that. I don't like that idea. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. And then for whatever reason, he finally humbles himself. And it says that he plunged into the river. It's almost like Naaman said, okay, I've done it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. And he plunges into this river and he's instantly healed. And if I know anything about the many, many stories of healing in God's word, healing always comes with faith. Healing always comes when God knows there's a heart transformation behind it, right? And so this plunging, this obedience is what led Naaman to this healing that he wanted. And it's such this incredible imagery of him just saying, I got it. I'll do it. And it instantly he's healed. Now, we all know that sometimes God shows up in an instant, and sometimes he doesn't. But his promises are the same, that if we will be obedient and stay in it, even when we think it doesn't make sense, he will show up right on time. And that in God's presence, we have joy and refreshing, and the chaos around us stops because we're in the presence of the one true God. And the... Sorry, whoa. The end of Naaman's story is fascinating. And in verse 15, it says, Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all the people in his group, and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Oh, that's such a powerful sentence. Because you see, in that moment, Naaman had his healing, but it was more than just healing of his leprosy. See, Naaman came from this pagan nation that believed in all of these false gods. And he comes to Israel, and he has an experience with the true and living God, and he knows without a doubt that there's one God in all the earth. And Naaman goes on, and he says, Behold, but Elijah said this, wait, where am I? Except I know that there is one God except in Israel. So now accept a blessing and a gift from your servant. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will accept nothing. He urged him to take it, but Elijah refused. And Naaman said in verse 17, if not, then please let your servant be given a load of earth for a team of mules. 
from for this day your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering nor a sacrifice to other gods but only to the Lord so he's saying from this day on I will live differently from this day on I will pursue the true and living God And see, the interesting thing about this conversation between Naaman and Elijah is that Naaman has already been healed. Naaman no longer has leprosy. So Naaman could have said in that moment, see ya, thanks, nice to meet ya, I'm headed home. Because for Naaman, he got what he came there for, right? But what he found was so much bigger than what he even knew he was looking for. Because he found the presence of the true and living God. And so Naaman doesn't just leave. He says, from here on out, I will worship the God of the people of Israel. See, because he realizes it's not just the healing. That God is so much bigger than all of that. And you see, Naaman in this moment starts to think things through. And he is so determined to follow after God. But I believe he starts thinking about where he's going. And he's going home to this group of people who serve all these pagan gods. He's going back to be the leader of this army that is spending all their time trying to defeat all these other people. And he starts to think this is not going to be easy to pursue God's presence when I get home. And so Naaman asks what to us looks like this kind of crazy thing. He says, can I take a bunch of dirt home? He wants to load up all these wheelbarrows from Israel and take it back to Syria. And I think we can look at that and be like, well, he's so foolish. But what he's saying is that there's this holy ground in Israel. There's this presence of the God that he has now experienced, and he wants to take it back with him so he can continue in that pursuit of the true and living God. I mean, are you seeing what he's doing right there? And then Elijah says in the end of 2 Kings 5, verse 19, Elijah says to him, go in peace. So he asked to take this dirt, and Elijah says, take it. Why would God's messenger say take it? Because he knows for Naaman, being able to take this dirt, this symbol of this holy ground that he experienced in Israel, is going to be helpful in his pursuit of God when he gets home. And see, for all of us, I think we can relate to Naaman in one way or another, especially in this season we've been in, that there are these times when we know we've been in the presence of the Most High God, where we've felt it, we've experienced it, we know like Naaman that nothing else is real except for this. And then we experience that and it changes us. Maybe we're healed, same as Naaman. And then we start to think, but I, I gotta go back. I got to go back to this place where people don't think what I think or believe what I think. I got to live in a world that is increasingly hostile to faith. How do I continue to pursue the presence of God in the midst of all of these things? And see, I don't have wheelbarrows full of dirt out here for you to take when you go home. But we don't need the wheelbarrows full of dirt because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
Because what we have that Naaman didn't is that we have a savior who has come to save us and who said, I will be the connection point between you and the most high God. You have access to the power of God because of what Jesus did on the cross. He said, you don't need the dirt, but you need the pursuit right? We need to do the things that God has told us to do and be obedient because that will lead us to the presence. And see, in my life, I've tried to be all of these things with very little success. Hanging a picture of LeBron James in my room does not make me a professional basketball player. Where I end up has a lot to do with my commitments. And God wants our heart He wanted Naaman's heart. He wants our faith. He wanted Naaman's faith, and he wants our obedience. He's not dangling it out there. No, he wants our heart. He wants our obedience. And then when we have it, it's easier for us to continue to pursue it in a world that wants to stop us. So Naaman left with this what he needed to go back. And we live in a world much like where Naaman is from. And we need to find the things that God is saying, this is how you find me. And I would invite you to be a part of our church's journey as we pursue the presence of God. Because I want it. Last week when Pastor preached about this idea of living strength to strength, I just kept thinking, man, I want that. As the world continues to crumble in chaos, I think I want peace. I want joy. And God says, it's not buried in a field with some clue you got to figure out in the paper. It's in here. God says, I'll tell you how to get there. But we have to pursue it. We can't get full of pride. We can't say, I don't understand what it means. God says, seek and you will find me. Knock and the door will be open to you. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And one of the things I love most about this story is this little girl, right? This little servant that was captured and taken. And she stands up and she says, you know, I know what he needs. And some of us have people in our life and we got to stand up. We got to stand up and say, hey, I know what you need. I know the pursuit you need to be on. But there are others of us, maybe people online who resonate with Naaman in this story. Here's a guy who knew nothing about God, had no relationship with him whatsoever. And what we see in this story is that there's a God waiting to have a relationship with you. A God that wants to come into your life and show you a life you've never seen. A life that Naaman experienced in this moment and said, I never want to go back. And you see, Jesus came so we can have that kind of access. And some of us need to begin that journey and say, hey, I want to start my relationship with God. Some of us know there are people in our life that need it, and we got to be like that little girl and raise up and say, I know. And some of us in this story resonate with all the different places where Naaman said, I'm out. And we hear it, and we're like, that's me. And we have to do what Naaman did at the end of the story and load up on the things that God tells us will lead to his presence. We gotta load up on the things that God promises us will lead to his presence. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask you guys to pray with me. Lord God, 
I need you. Lord God, I want you in my life. Lord God, I thank you. Lord God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.